Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's the Star Trek podcast. Two guys who are just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. You know, Adam, we uh, we sit down, we uh, fire up our internet voice IP program so we can talk to each other. We hit record. And uh, we were lamenting before we recorded. All of that is potentially content, you know. So sure. it's, it's a real shame that we ever talk to each other and don't attempt to monetize it. <laughs> but, uh, but you also asked if, uh, if I needed a moment. And um, that reminded me of a time in film school when we were working on somebody's student film. And you cast, you know, when, when you're shooting in New York and you have access to like the wealth of talented actors that uh, are in New York trying to find work, you can actually cast like grown up actors in your projects yeah people who will actually get nude right so we we kept having shoots where like you know we were a bunch of 20 somethings or whatever and then you know a bunch of 30 40 50 60 year olds would be amongst us saying how do you do fellow kids saying whatever dumb words we wrote down in our dumb scripts (laughs) and uh and so we just met like so many wild characters through that but one that i will one memory that I will treasure from that time forever was uh, a friend of mine and I were on set and we were shooting in a bar and we went, uh, we both needed to, to take a pee. So we were heading to the bathroom and uh, one of these older gentlemen that was uh, acting in the, in the movie in question came out and said, I wouldn't go in there right now. Somebody's having a moment. Do not go in there. Woo! <laughs> I think about that once a day <laughs> i'm a collector of poop euphemisms <laughs> and that is one i'm hold on i'm just flipping through my through my card catalog having a yeah. moment doesn't yeah, appear I, in there no I, I i went from uh i went right past the h's i have nothing in that yeah it's interesting because like when you say do you need a moment that's the that is what my mind runs home to the way the the computer on the American sub in Red October runs home to thinking something as a magma displacement. I always run home to this is a euphemism for shitting. <laughs> it's as constant as your northern star. Yeah. That was not a film school story I expected to hear from you, Ben. Yeah, it was just, just a, a, a silly older man, you know, warning us that somebody was shitting the bathroom up. You ever go back and watch those... Uh, those film school videos, and how does that make you feel? I have not watched it since I made it. It's in the past, Ben. Yeah. You're a, you're a different man now. I have different sensibilities. You have a different aesthetic, certainly. Yeah. You're more of a Francophile than you've ever been. <laughs> uh, one, th- one thing I remember about it is that the main character is a ninja, and he always has his ninja mask on. Uh, and at one point, he falls in love with a girl, and they make out through the ninja mask. Oh, really? As yeah. in, like, Sam Raimi bit that rhyme from you for his uh, his Spider-Man movie? Didn't he pull it up, though? Because he was like, that's the scene where he's upside down making out, right? You know, sometimes, Ben, you just want to pull that off to the side <laughs> and, not, and not even dispense with it. Not even removal. take it off, yeah. Yeah. 
That can be fun. Yeah, it could be fun, but it can also ruin all the elastic, you know? <laughs> you are very uh, elastically minded in, uh, <laughs> in, in an amorous moment, aren't you? I just don't, I don't want to have to pay to replace something, you know? <laughs> there's a, you know what? You could argue that there's no replacing an amorous moment. Sure there is. Come on. <laughs> That's why masturbation exists. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've convinced me, Ben. Let's see if you can convince me if today's episode is a good one. As we discuss, Deep Space Nine Season 3, Episode 7, Civil Defense. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. And we get a brand new playset, Ben. Deuterium Refinery. This feels like a set of Deep Space Nine that would be best suited for a Playmates style plastic like Castle Grayskull type situation. Like right. You could stick your action figures in the little chute. You can have them crawl around and escape the gas. Like this is a fun playset. Yeah. There'd probably be something spring-loaded in there somewhere. I love it. And it's high too, right? Like like there's a lot of verticality to it. I, I dig it as well. Um, yeah, the uh, the chief. I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. And Jake Sisko are working on converting the ore refinery from back when Deep Space Nine was a uh, a mining station into a deuterium refinery. Or which... are they? Oh God. <laughs> I, that just undid 10 instances of me pronouncing a French thing. <laughs> Is that the equivalence? I don't think so. Oh, yeah. That's the exchange rate. <laughs> uh the chief is uh, is like over scanning a pipe and Jake is doing the computer side of the of the business and he's trying to reformat one of the hard drives and uh this is uh, one of many moments where reformatting the drive is a catastrophic problem. Well, that's odd. I'm sure you're familiar with this as a, as a fellow videoman, how terrifying it is to click the button that says initialize disk or whatever. I mean, yeah, because it comes down to that equation that you and I both know by heart, which is, uh, which is two is one, one is none. Like, yeah. Like, what you need are are backups upon backups, and it doesn't appear that anyone is concerned about that in this case. Like, I guess they've assumed that all of these files have to do with a refinery technology that they clearly don't need as they transition to a deuterium-based refinery method. But still, like, I got to believe that, uh, that some of those might be useful. One thing I thought about in this episode is why haven't we seen the set sort of progressively change over time like why like occasionally somebody will you know shoot a beam and it'll like take out a, a replicator or something or or something is broken and they have to fix it why are they not replacing Cardassian objects with federation objects over time so the station starts to look more like a patchwork and uh, and that's sort of what I thought here. Like, why wipe this computer? This has been here for 10, 20 years probably. Get rid of it. Put in a good new one, you know? Yeah, I agree. It seems like they're putting up with a lot more shit than they have to. I know. And this Just is usable space here. Rip, rip that console out and fire it into the sun. Ben, I want to ask you about Jake 
generally, his uniform specifically, <laughs> and super specifically where he's wearing his com badge. Because I think I'm at a point now where I could begin to outline my research paper having to do with size, masculinity, and where you wear that com badge as a choice. He's definitely wearing his com badge in an anti-Hudson configuration. That's what I'm saying. I think pubescent com badge is, is like a full hand width above the nipple. Yeah. And that's where he's rocking it. I think if you want to evoke a feeling of childhood or whatever, you're wearing that com badge high. You're wearing yeah. it like a kid. That's what Jake's doing. But I think a better move for him, if he's trying to get his dad's attention, if he's trying to convince his dad that he's grown up and should be treated as such, I think he's got to pull that thing down. Put that thing down low, Jake. Yeah. Well, he's also got, like, he's got something that we saw in Wesley Crusher a lot. Wesley, the boy. The boy. Young Wesley Crusher. My son. Which is a uniform that sort of suggests some of the parts of a Starfleet <laughs> uniform, but yeah. isn't a Starfleet uniform. And that, and that like extra burnt umber band across the chest really fucks the com badge up because you put the com badge right in the center of that, it's going to look weird. It's going to look like it's calling attention to itself in a weird way. So they get to this last file in the computer and Cisco's like, what the fuck? Just delete it. Like, easy. And O'Brien's having a problem with that. I better set it aside for now. I can transfer it to the central database in ops and analyze it in the morning. And as soon as he does, taciturn computer voice comes on on the uh, on the blower and is like, Unauthorized computer entry detected in ore processing unit 5. Enter access code. <laughs> like, the door shuts. There's a recorded message from Goldicott. Your attempt to seize control of this facility is going to fail. And there's like an eight-minute countdown. It's like shot in, in, the, in the head office there, so it... it Looks like Gul Dukat is like running the station, and surely that was the idea: was that they just pre-recorded all these messages so that Gul Dukat could get his coffee and hang out while the worker revolts are going down. He doesn't actually need to take like an active personal stake in it. They're given five seconds to enter the code. They don't know the code. They try and all the things, and then just the doors slam. This is a great moment. People are in triage mode right now. They're like still in communication and we're yeah. going around the horn a little bit between what's happening in the refinery set. Everyone in ops is like in full, like engaged with the situation mode, which is a little ridiculous because before this happened, it should have just been like business as usual, right? But yeah, when, you think. When, when we cut to ops, it's it's Kira, the doctor and Dax all all war rooming the the situation we're gonna get three different perspectives on what's happening here we're gonna get the perspective from from jake cisco and o'brien we're gonna get the ops perspective and then we're gonna get the odo and quark perspective which is where we go next odo still has some codes left in his back pocket from when when this was terak noir and like the people in ops, he seems to have just been monitoring the situation actively from yeah. before it started. <laughs> yeah, and not even Odo has access privileges that Quark has. Quark has level seven privileges, and Odo merely has six. Yeah, Quark is an operating Thetan at an even higher level than Odo. <laughs> I mean, Odo needs to cross the bridge, clearly. Yeah. Why is, uh, what is holding Odo back from going clear? It's probably something from his past. <laughs> He's got a... What he needs to do is cut ties with the founders, cut ties with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. 
just isolate yourself. Maybe uh, maybe get on a boat. <laughs> maybe go down to Clearwater. I don't know. Maybe get yourself chained to a a, a radiator in a crawl space <laughs> for weeks. Yeah. Are you giving enough of what your uh, income is, Odo, to to really feel like you have a chance to go clear? <laughs> There's a thing that happens here, Ben, that that I really love. Like, like as a viewer, I think you're trying to piece together the situation and possible solutions to it. And almost as soon as I, almost as soon as Ducat comes onto the screen and say, and asks the Bajoran uprising to surrender. Cisco's like, great, cool, we surrender. Like, shut this thing down. It'll be fine. <laughs> right. Which, which is a great moment. It's a little like Kirk signaling their surrender every time yeah. the, the ship gets a drop and everybody's going like, no, what? <laughs> but yeah, it's like the obvious right thing to do. The problem is in the theoretical situation that this program is written for, the Cardassian thugs that are running the ore processing unit come in and, and punch the passcode in. And since nobody's there to do that, the system does not believe that the uprising has surrendered. This is the first instance of several throughout the episode that does that thing that Trey Parker and Matt Stone talked about in that documentary about South Park that I think we've referred to before as but or then. When they're outlining a story, they're always trying to use buts or thens as connective tissue between story beats. Mm-hmm. And this episode does that so well. Like initially you're seeing like an eight minute countdown and you're like, well, we're not even at the opening credits yet. Like what's going to happen for this episode? <laughs> for the rest of the ep, all we're getting are solutions to short term problems and then either a but or a then that creates a whole new problem for them to solve. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Disaster also, yeah. where it's kind of isolating unusual pairings or groups in, yeah. uh, in in a situation that is deteriorating. And at a certain point, they stop even being able to communicate with each other. Yeah. So uh, it's a, it's kind of well-trod Star Trek space, but the twists and turns are not obvious. It feels like something TNG did a lot, and I don't know for sure, but I feel like this is the first time DS9 has sort of played in that story space. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So, so uh, one of the things that the computer uh, announces to them is that if uh, if they don't, you know, punch in the all clear in the uh, in the ore processing unit, the system will start pumping gas into the room. And uh, this was uh, this was something that I feel like maybe Chief should have dealt with in year one on the station is like go around and find all the poison gas tanks. Why did they buy this car without giving it a pre-purchase inspection? Like they don't even know what's on the station. This seems really dangerous. I was at a uh, I was at a a party at my uh, in-laws' house. And a, uh, a friend of theirs sidled up to me and started chatting me up and told me about a time when he was in his 20s and, like, signed up to help a guy sail a trimaran to Fiji from San Diego or something. What? And the guy had not, like, cleared this boat for seaworthiness. So oh, they no. they set sail and they were, like, out of port for, like, a week and, and stuff just starts to fall apart. And he actually had to, like, arrange a mutiny among some of the other like crew on the ship to convince this guy to to go put into port somewhere so that they could they could fix the boat wow. and uh, they, they wound up doing it and he just like you know like the second they tied the boat up he just like grabbed his bag and hopped off and walked away 
never to return. Wow, good job by him. Yeah, but this feels a little bit like that. Like, this is something, like, if you're taking over a space station, maybe, like, do a preliminary scan, see if there are any caches of neurozine gas just secreted around the, the station. I hate to say this because I love the character so much, but I kind of feel like this is O'Brien's job, and I feel like he blew it. Yeah. He should know every inch of that station. I agree. I, I firmly agree. So... As the nerve agent gets deployed, it, it hangs low. It hangs low a lot like a, a dry ice type of gas. Yeah. And so Jake has to go into the Shawshank Redemption pipe yeah. and, and, and climbs through 10 feet of shit-smelling foulness. Are you sure it's not the, uh, the alien's pipe that Bishop crawls through? I mean, it could be. I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just want, I, I think we shouldn't cover our bases in terms of what movie to reference here. Are you... Twitter replying to me like verbally right now <laughs> in a why didn't you kind of way because then yeah. I should have you know that I mute anything that starts with why didn't you yeah I got a I got a very itchy mute finger these days O'Brien says something here to a to what has to be a totally blinded Jake in this dark pipe feel around inside for a handle it should be shaped like a stirrup how does Jake know what that is? Is that what you put your foot in when yeah. you're riding a horse? Yeah. Maybe maybe they've had some hollow sweet hangs that we don't know about. What's great about this moment is that not only are we dealing with a countdown, but we're <laughs> dealing with a more unhinged Ducat as the minutes go by via recording, who is just like excoriating people about like, I'm going to be forced to kill everyone here <laughs> if you don't lay down your uprising. I'd give real money if he'd shut up. The funny thing is like, he's just in his office with like a handy cam and like an yeah. intern and he's actually like committing to the emotional truth of this pre-recorded message. He's Except he's doing like every YouTube video. He's like, hey guys, I'm going to need you to stop doing the uprising or else I'm going to have to nerve gas everyone. Uh, like and subscribe. <laughs> uh, tell me in the comments whether you like this video and I'll do more of them. <laughs> so Jake finds the stirrup. They're able to help Ben Sisko and then finally O'Brien, who looks like he might at the last moment fall into the gas. Like his yeah. fate is not secure here in this scene and in kind of a... Uh, a nerve-wracking way, but they finally get him up to the top. Did you think it was strange that Cisco went first? I kind of did. Like, isn't it Captain goes down with the ship or Captain is the last one off? Is it because he's a commander that he gets to go first? <laughs> I agree that those are those are things. Those are pronouncements that leaders uh, prescribe to, but I don't know. I think if you want to get out of the situation, I think you're going to need O'Brien. And, and if I'm Ben Cisco, I might... Push him up by the butt first. <laughs> well, their escape from this room kicks the computer into a new level of histrionics. Initiating station-wide counterinsurgency program. And the doors all slam in ops, and uh, and they're slamming everywhere. Like they're like the the station is basically on lockdown. Doors are locked from the outside. And it's like like even if you push a door open, there's going to be a force field behind it. And some of these force fields are even weaponized. Like right. at one point, Dax is trying to fiddle with computer computer chips and uh, and gets a a pretty gnarly burn on her hands. My first hand burn was from a cast iron skillet of cornbread that I was cooking in the oven. Oh, oh. And uh, the towel slipped on the on the handle. So like it it just peeked a little bit of the handle out and it and it palm burned me. 
Ouch. A hand burn, I mean, I don't have a lot of burns to compare it to, but God, a hand burn feels like just about the worst thing. And I think Dax emotes that pretty well here. Like, yeah, she's pretty fucked burn, up. Burns seem like more painful and more intensely painful than cuts. Yeah. You know? At this point, there's sort of been an Agatha Christification of <laughs> what's happening here because everyone is cut off from everyone else because the combat just don't work. And every character seems to act in terms of their peak character self-interest, right? And that's a very Agatha Christie thing to do uh, in the context of a mystery. It's also a very Ayn Rand thing to do, <laughs> acting in your own self-interest. <laughs> Hey, wait a minute. You've never seen Agatha Christie and Ayn Rand in the same room at the same time. <laughs> Who says Ayn Rand is dead? <laughs> is Agatha Christie? She's probably dead too, right? I don't know. I love that not only is Dax punished here, but Ducat comes back on the screen again and is like, Hey guys, it's uh, Gul Ducat back on the screen again. Just wanted to let you know that... If you do not surrender immediately, I will be forced to kill every Bajoran on this station. Bye. <laughs> and like almost as soon as this threat is leveled, enter Garrick. Yeah, Garrick is free. Like a magician is like walking through walls, basically. He has the codes. It's like yeah. Arby's having the meats. He has the codes, <laughs> but they're a little bit impotent, right? Because the codes allow him to move, but they don't really give him any more power than that. I mean, the codes seem to be linked to his Cardassian-ness and, right. uh, and not necessarily to who he is or what he knows because he didn't have like root access to yeah. the computer mainframe. Garrick comes on the scene and they, and they hypothesize together that, you know, if the neurocene gas is deployed through the life support system, what would happen if we just destroyed the vehicle for the neurocene gas? What are you trying to do, Garrick? Get us all killed? And so they do. Kira pulls a phaser out and gives the two Bajoran workers that are sitting at the life support console like a tenth of a second to clear out of the way. <laughs> it's a pretty badass moment for her. I think yeah. she's been wanting to do this for a long time. Yeah, and she's like, Eric, honestly, if you fucking just stayed there, I might even be happier. <laughs> The thing about this moment is it really ping-pongs between, okay, if we destroy the life support system, it'll give us 12 hours to just lay back in the cut and strategize what the next move is. Right. The 12 hours while the while the while they use the remaining air in the station. But yeah. 12 hours is like a lot of time to actually solve this problem. As soon as the life support system goes down... Initiating counterinsurgency program level three. Ducat comes back on and he's like, Hey guys, I saw you <laughs> destroyed the life support system. Turns out we're just going to turn on the self-destruct system on DS9 and set it for two hours. So, see ya, like and subscribe. <laughs> and Kira, they sort of like rack into Kira before commercial. Like, eee. Have you ever had a bad day at work? Yeah, she's thinking to herself, how many shaps does this goddamn game have? <laughs> we get these sprinklings of Quark and Odo in this episode, but they aren't very functional. Yeah, because they're just locked in one room together, and there's not much they can contribute at this point. So they're just kind of there to be like the uh, the comic relief in a way. Like they're almost Statler and Waldorfing the situation. Force field? 
More like forced joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it kind of feels like uh, in that TNG episode when Picard is stuck in the turbo lift with the kids, like the rest of the crew is triaging the situation and he is babysitting. This seems like tonally that kind of thing happening here. Yeah, I also feel like we kind of get distracted from O'Brien and the Cisco gentlemen at this point in the episode. Like, we check in very briefly with them a couple of times, but the, yeah. the story is really happening in ops at this point. That is a great point that you bring up. Like, they aren't doing anything functionally to help solve the mystery or get the station out of trouble. Right, what they're, they're just tunnel, tunnel crawling. Like they're, they're moving from A to B, and B is proximate to the true solution to the problem. Only you don't know that yet in this part of the story. Right. Like I guess the one exciting thing is when they uh when they like pile all the all the rocks against the door and I guess these are whatever they were refining before mm-hmm. and are explosive if fire is introduced to them. I felt like the explosion was kind of weak sauce though. You know, we've seen we've seen some pretty fun interior explosions on Deep Space 9 and this one is meant to like blow a hole in an armored door and it blows like a perfect rabbit hole for them to cr- crawl through. But as an explosion, it is, like, pretty forgettable. There is one thing I really like about this scene, and then another thing I really don't. And the thing I like is how crazy good that bright light cable looks in a dark room. Yeah. It looks great because of the exposure in that room. Like, it's super dark, and so anything bright is just going to blow out. And you almost can't see any detail to it at all, so it looks really futuristic and trony. I thought that was a good job by them, but yeah. the Foley work in all of these scenes is like, I Terrible, was, right? was kind of laughing out loud at that. Like there's a scene where Jake pushes a mining cart away and it sounds like an 8-bit video game sound of a mining <laughs> cart being moved. Like it sounds impossibly heavy and big. So around this time, they trigger yet a third mm-hmm. level of uh, of security program. Initiating counterinsurgency program level four. And what this is is the replicator makes an, a phaser exocomp that starts just ripping shots all over the ops section. Pretty hot rat Gugino in there, huh? <laughs> uh, a Starfleet red shirt gets vaporized. They're trying to get Kira's phaser, but it's just on the on the main table in ops, and uh, it's too scary for the doctor to reach over the table and get it. And uh, just when uh, this is all at its peak, none other than Gul Dukat beams into the ops section. Uh, and like, and he's like downrange of this exocomp and not getting shot. It's uh, it is choosing to avoid hitting him. It's such a great scene because Gul Dukat has back turned confidence. Yeah, it's like the action movie trope of having your back turned to the explosion. Yeah, and because both things are facing the camera, it looks even more badass. I was so worried in this moment that this was just going to be Dukat ex machina. I think it's something about the effect that makes him look unreal. Yeah. At one point, Ducat, like, replicates himself a cup of tea, 
which gives them a a brief window where where phaser fire is not ripping through the op section, tearing everything up. But uh, the second he grabs the T, that that thing reappears and starts shooting. So not long enough for them to get the drop on him. And uh, he's he's here to to make a deal. He has a little leverage to negotiate something that he wants in this situation. And uh, he uh, at a certain point turns off the the death ray and uh, takes Kira into the office and proposes that the Cardassians install a garrison on Deep Space Nine. And in return for this, he will turn off the the thing. You know I'm never going to agree to that. I'm not sure you have much of a choice here. I love that, like, Kira is given the chance to speak for her people and doesn't even think about it. It's like, fuck no. Her reaction to this proposal is great. It's a weird proposal to give to, like, the second in command of the station. Like, is she really in a position to make a deal like that? Great scene for both uh, actors. Great scene for both characters. Yeah. There's some fun. I mean, it's not just Kira's dog against Dukat's dog. There's a ton of Garrick dog against Dukat dog here. Throwing haymakers about, like, Garrick's talking shit about his dad. And, like, bringing family drama into it in a really fun way. I love that uh, they were, they, like, know each other that well. Yeah. That's pretty surprising. It goes uh, from zero to personal so fast. Yeah, and, uh, you know, also Ducat saying like, wow, if if you had been here on the station when we we put this program in, I would have set it up specially to fuck with you. Like, like they just have hated each other's guts forever. And uh, so Ducat's like, all right, well, the uh, self-destruct's going to go in a half an hour. I'll be back in... 25 minutes or so, and uh, you guys can tell me whether or not uh, you accept my terms. All right, bye. And as Ducat attempts to beam away... Ducat, one to transport, energize. A new problem presents itself. Another then. A recording comes on accusing Ducat of desertion. Yeah, it's like a react vid. (laughs) (laughs) It's some legate that reacting to Ducat's decision to to give them twenty five minutes to think it over, but he totally misinterprets it. He, the this is the system uh, assuming that Ducat was attempting to flee the station and leave it to self destruct, and uh, and so that's the the computer's final final straw and it says all fail safes have been eliminated and like Ducat's access codes are now wiped out. Everything is fucked. And and Ducat is just as fucked as any of them. And like that's like maybe the most fun moment in the ne- in the episode is like how embarrassed he looks. <laughs> Even your own computer program turns against you. Right. He's got to stay there and just sit in it. And it forces a fun bit of collaboration between people who hate each other. Yeah. The problem at this point is these force fields, Ben. And they sort of come up with a solution to the problem. Like the way that the station self-destructs happens in a specific way that is solvable. But right. as long as the force fields are in place, they won't be able to remedy the They just can't the close the distance between ops and where the place is that they need to do whatever techno thing right. to, to, to fix the problem. But fortunately, this is when uh, they come up with some solution to like, to take out the dampening field that is causing all the communications blackouts. 
And uh, I guess they just like can't not try something at this point because every time they've tried something, it has led to further like increase the speed with which the system is going to kill all of them. But they do keep trying things. And I guess what they come up with is that like they've like taken some of the lethality out of emitters, which might have like unplugged them from the counterinsurgency program. So they can like use the this set of emitters to like turn the dampening fields off or something like that. It's really like the the episode gets like ultra techno babbly here in a way that is like a little I I've had a lot of fun up until now, but I do feel like the writers are using nonsense words to solve problems that they've made for themselves. Right. I noticed that too. Another thing that I couldn't help but notice in this scene is how different Garrick is uh, now than he was in the second skin episode. Like Garrick goes on that mission and he is serious and lethal and like calculating and he's an asset. But as soon as Dukat comes on the scene, Garrick is totally unhinged and his eye is off the ball the entire time. There's a scene where he accuses Dukat of making a pass at Kira that feels so like in the in the context of that moment i have no idea why that that happened it comes so out of nowhere i didn't notice that garrick was making a pass at kira but garrick does and <laughs> calls him out in front of everyone garrick this isn't helping ben i make this promise to you to you and to the viewers that i will only ever do research if i think it's absolutely necessary Mm-hmm. And I did. I did for oh, this no. moment because it felt too strange not to look into. And here's what I found out. This is the first episode that we see Dukat express a desire for Kira. But in this episode, his attempt to impress her is treated as a joke. Garrick! And Nana Visitor found this very upsetting because... And I'll quote her. I would have liked my character to make the point that only a few years earlier Dukat's wanting me would have meant that he could have had me and I wouldn't have been able to do anything about it. So it shouldn't have been seen as a cute moment. It was actually a horrifying moment. One that would make Kira feel disgust and panic. To Kira Dukatis Hitler. She's not ever going to get over that. She can never forgive him and that is important to me. Kira may have started to see Cardassians as individuals, but she will always hate Dukat. Fair point, Anavisator. Wow. She has a pretty great grasp of her character's motivations, unsurprisingly. Yeah. yeah. But the Garrick thing is the thing that, that almost clangs as much as, as the humor between Dukat and Kira. Like, I just don't understand how in the span of two episodes Garrick can turn into punchline guy. Is it something that he puts on? Because he does wear different masks around different people. Like, yeah. Is it because Dukat is there that he's so weird and different? It would seem that way, yeah. Morn, 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 sweet, morn, morn, morn. You need everybody? Morn, stop. Hammer time. They get the comms back. They're back to being able to talk to people, and uh, and just so happens that the uh, the Cisco's and O'Brien are on the 29th level, and they're pretty close to the 34th level, which is where they need to get some people to stave off the self destruct. And it's uh, the idea is that they have to like, like there's going to be an energy discharge, but uh, if they can direct it away from the fusion reactor or whatever, the uh, the station won't go boom. 
This is another techno babble description of a possible solution that I feel like just rings differently than we normally get in a Star Trek yeah. episode. It feels like this episode just kind of falls apart toward the end. Yeah. <laughs> There's a nice little moment where Cisco is trying to get Jake to go, you know, save his own skin, and Jake insists on on coming with them, which winds up being momentous. But Jake's like, "Hey, Dad, can I come with you?" Ben Cisco's like, "No." And then Jake grabs his com badge, moves it down two inches. Can I come with you now? <laughs> no. Jake moves it down to like nipple height. How about now? All right. You you talked me into it. You become a man today. I'm so proud of you. Hey, speaking of uh, Cal Hudson, uh, I read that Bernie Casey recently passed. Oh, man. That makes yeah. me sad. R.I.P. Bernie Casey. One of the greats. Yeah, most definitely. Hopefully our Bernie Casey love fest for two episodes will, will stand as a lasting monument, saluting a great man and a great career. Do you think that somebody came in and was like, hey, Bernie, <laughs> check this out. A podcast talked about you, and he listened what? to it and just fucking keeled over. Oh, wait a second. Are, are you implying that our show killed Bernie Casey? Yeah, he died of embarrassment. <laughs> <laughs> if embarrassment were something you could die from, Ben, I think we would have died long ago. <laughs> we would have died at our very first live show. A protracted exposure. You know, it's like... It's like you, you, you can you can be exposed to radiation in one big dose, and that can be lethal. But also, just being exposed to low levels of it for a long time can be lethal. In the way that like iodine capsules can can stave off radiation poisoning, uh, it's the yeah. alcohol I think that staves off the embarrassment <laughs> poisoning that you and I have. Yeah, I think that's probably true. <laughs> well, there's some little adventures where they have to. You know, go down a hallway, but all of the girders have collapsed into it. They got to, uh, they they pull some stuff aside and find a Jeffrey's tube that they can climb down. This Jeffrey's tube has just fires down either side of it. Don't space stations have systems to identify when there's a fire going on and like maybe put it out? Yeah, it wouldn't seem that way in this moment. I do love the like sock hands that they have to rock going through these <laughs> Jeffrey's tubes. Yeah, it's uh What are we to believe about what their uniforms are made of if their shirt sleeves can be used to prevent burns? I don't know. I'd I'd imagine it's some kind of advanced technical fabric. Like the fabric that professional golfers wear? Yeah, yeah, it's wicking. It wicks <laughs> it wicks moisture away. Yeah. That's why uh that's why gentlemen in Starfleet don't talc up when they put their trousers on. <laughs> They're on an even shorter timeline here to solve this problem and i know this is when the tension is should just be ratcheting up and up and up and like i think the score in this part is like slow and doesn't enhance the tension at all the action feels slow like there's dolly shots of o'brien crawling along this tunnel like he gets a explosioned and and like flips over and passes out and even that isn't that exciting or intense feeling i thought how strange it was that you don't see people really hurrying in this episode when time is extremely short i think a fast army crawl is what you want to see o'brien doing through these jeffrey's tubes and you never see that it's just like a standard speed crawl the clock does not feel like it's ticking and yeah. it should feel like that like it should feel like i don't know if they're gonna make it and like I also just like the way they designed the the set pieces like 
Cisco gets to the end of Burning Tunnel, like having left the chief to die back there. Yeah. And what he has to do is pull honey sticks out of the wall and then just put them right back in the same holes that they've been in. Like, it doesn't feel like he's doing anything. I really thought they were going to pivot to a uh, O'Brien having to blindly tell him in what order to do things sort of solution to the problem. Yeah. But Cisco knows how to do this. And so he ends up saving the day, which feels less satisfying. Jake gets his little heroic moment where he realizes that the chief is in bad shape in there and uh, crawls in. And pulls him out. And then the last scene is Quark and Odo in the office, finally getting released. Quark finds the way he is described in Odo's security computer. A self-important con artist who's nowhere near as clever as he thinks he is. They uh, they take a walk down the promenade like trading barbs. And it's a real slide whistle. Like, we don't, we don't check in with ops. We don't see, like, what happened up there with the people we've been following this entire time how did ducat say goodbye like when did garrick pick his moment and leave the command section that he's not technically allowed to be in what we do get in this last scene is a fairly significant oneer using a crane yeah so we start outside odo's office and then we rise and tilt down and shoot over one of the overpasses, pedestrian bridges uh, in the promenade. And it's like a 10 second shot. Yeah. It made me think that they came up short and they needed to fill time. It's like a longer coda than I'm used to seeing at the very end of an episode. Like that last shot takes so long to get to be. Yeah. And combined with how not frantic characters are in acting in their own interest to solve these problems, I wonder if they had to stretch yeah. to to make their 44 minutes or whatever. Yeah, that must be what it is. It's like if we, if we put the exciting end of this episode at the pace that it appropriately should be at, yeah. we're gonna, it's going to be like a 41-minute episode, and we need it to be 44, so... Let's just take our time, people. When I did that bit of research before, it was very clear that this episode was a mess. According to those that made it, it was in rewrite hell for a long, long time. Huh. And no one was particularly happy with with how it was produced. The writing process turned out as painful and disgusting as we thought it would be, according to Ira Stephen Bear. Wow. So there was a lot of Michael Piller versus Ira Stephen Bear conflict happening here you really want to do this here now okay okay let's do it do it did you like the episode adam i love episodes like this like i really liked arsenal of freedom or booby trap or starship mine like i love bottle episodes where there's like a specific problem to solve and there are people working to solve it in interesting ways and like where life is on the line like like this is a type of star trek episode that i'm predisposed to really loving and I want to say, like, 80% of this episode is really good. And, and I liked it for all those reasons. But it just, it came up short a little bit when it, when it came time to wrap up the story. And yeah. so I can't give it a fully-throated love, but I did like the episode. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, I had similarly mixed feelings. I think that uh, the first two-thirds or three-quarters of it are tight as hell and really good. And, uh, and you know, the, the twists are never predictable and they're really fun. And then, yeah, that, 
that end, I was just like, I was really struggling to stay focused on it toward the end because it got like, it got boring, mm. you know? Yeah. And in an, in a story where there are so many buts and thens, there are so many uh, cascading timelines. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't ever be that way. Shouldn't. Well, you know what, what should be a certain way, Ben? We should have priority one messages in every Greatest Gen episode. We should. What do you, why I think you, we do. Why don't we see if we have any? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is in all caps... <laughs> it is from Holly. <laughs> it is for Steve Crane. And the message goes like this. Attention, Steve Crane. <laughs> I value your friendship, but I have still poisoned your wine. Enjoy. Oh, no. Steve, don't do it. Don't drink that wine, Steve. Never go up against Holly when death is on the line. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Holly also poisoned her own wine. So that Steve Crane would think that she thought that he thought that she would poison her wine. Yeah, but what you don't realize, Adam, is that Holly has been developing an immunity to wine poison for years. <laughs> Iodine capsules, again. <laughs> uh, Adam, our second Priority One message is for Ben and Adam, and it is from Jean-Francois Dagnort. <laughs> and... Uh, it goes like this. I I expected a smoother French delivery than that. I don't. I haven't practiced in a long time. It's like okay? you drove your Citroen over a very cobblestone road there in that pronunciation. Uh huh. <laughs> Dear Ben and Adam, thanks for helping me through a recent long depression relapse. For my mental health, I had to quit any podcast discussing the news, and having your pod to turn to was a lifesaver. Hearing Ben discuss his own mental health issues has also helped me hope for better times. I'm doing better now. So from the bottom of my, of my heart, thank you. Oh, man. Wow. That's nice to hear. That is great to hear. Yeah, I think that that's like something that uh, I wish more people knew is that like mental health, if, if you have a mental health burden that you carry, like you can you can find your way out of it. It does... It does like hang over you a little bit. Like I, I have a depressive personality and I have anxiety and like there are are times when I am like more depressed and less depressed. But um, but if you are you know working with a uh, with mental health professionals and uh, and have a good a good system, like you can totally manage that stuff and and uh, live a happy life uh, in spite of it. And uh, and I'm glad uh, I'm glad Jean Francois is doing better. Yeah, you and me both. Well, if you would like to send a priority one message, there's only one way to do it. You go to maximumfun.org/jumbotron. It's a hundred bucks for a personal message and two hundred for a commercial message. And we really appreciate people that use that service. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! The mortal danger of Naked Now. It, <laughs> it feels like that's present here in this episode, doesn't it? Like, kind of, like yeah. tonally, I thought it felt very, very similar. But is there a Shimoda? To me, I think 
the Shimoda corner is Ops. Yeah. The Shimoda figure is Garrick <laughs> for taking the opportunity during like a solutioneering style McLaughlin group. Issue one. To like chop the knees out of Ducat by accusing him <laughs> of crushing on Kira like in public in front of everyone. Like so unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> like he wasn't he didn't do anything in that scene that also could've... just like the hubris of coming up and being like I've got a, a great solution to the problem that you guys are facing and uh here's uh, here's what you need to do and it's like nope wrong totally incorrect I think I would have appreciated like dog on dog for that entire scene just fine without the Kira part yeah because it also hurts Kira too like it doesn't make it doesn't empower her or make her feel any better. She's just as ashamed. Yeah. And if and if Garrick really cares about Kira, I think I don't think he would have done it like that in that scene. So, uh, my Shimoda is going to be Garrick for those reasons. What about you, Ben? Uh, my Shimoda is the Doctor. There is a critical moment when Ducat replicates himself some tea, and we see we cut back to where the Doctor is cowering under the table. And uh, it is only when the exocomp rematerializes and starts shooting phasers that the doctor realizes that he could have gone for Kira's hand phaser. Like, that should be the focus, is get that phaser. Like, get the phaser so you can take out the replicator and not have the thing that's shooting <laughs> killer death rays into into the yeah. op section. Like, like, all you are doing is looking for a window. And, <laughs> like, you can start making that move when Ducat walks over to the replicator because he's basically occluding where the beam can pot- potentially fire uh, during that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't even need to wait for the T to materialize. <laughs> and uh, for that reason, the doctor is my drunk Shimoda. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books. They send in paintings they send in uh, crochet work it's so cool and uh i want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters i want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves and you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use squarespace it'll look beautiful 
no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is Season 3, Episode 8, Meridian. While exploring the Gamma Quadrant in the Defiant, Cisco, Dax, Bashir, and O'Brien are shocked when a planet appears where none existed before. Or, as it is described... <laughs> By the smarter people that write blurbs for Amazon. Dax falls in love with a man who will soon disappear with his planet into another dimension for 60 years. It's a little bit of a bodice ripper. Yeah. Very different episode <laughs> uh, from the sound of it. It's a, it's a reappearing, disappearing planet. Well, as we turn it over to uh, Game of Buttholes, The Will of the Prophets, why don't we see... If we are doing this next episode in a particular way, we are currently on square number nine. Just yeah. ahead is a Coco No No square. A few squares away from that is a Fuck It We'll Do It Live episode. Uh, I have got the die in my hand. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Uh, I'm I'm checking my die for lumps. <laughs> are you doing that thing that Data does, where you squeeze them to make sure that they're uh, that they're properly aligned. Well, your mom sent me a, a handy leaflet about rolling dice, and uh, <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> and I have rolled a two. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Which puts us. Uh, it has hopped us over Coco No No and put us on square eleven, which is another standard issue episode. Ben, dangerously close to a fuck it. We'll do it live though. Yeah. Yeah, so right on the doorstep. All right, Adam. Well, uh, that will be the next episode, a plain Jane 
episode of the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. If people like all the different types of episodes we put out there, what can they do to uh, to help the show out? If they feel like feel like that just listening isn't enough, what can people do, Adam? Well, they can support the show by going to maximumfun.org/donate. Where uh, where you can support the show on a month to month basis? What, how many shows are we giving the people every month? I mean, I guess I mean, if you count Friendly Fire, we're giving them like, like ten or close to ten, ten or twelve per per month. Yeah, uh, your contributions really mean a lot in helping us to produce this show, which is not cheap and certainly not free. So maximumfund.org/donate. You can also uh, leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate that. Or uh, recommend the show to a friend. You can recommend it to an IRL friend. Or if you go online, use the hashtag GreatestGen. There's also Facebook groups and Reddit groups and all different manner of socials, medias. And uh, we are uh, on Twitter. Adam is at Cut for Time, and I am at Benjamin R. Slamming the mute button left and right. <laughs> so... You know, come correct if you want to. If you want to talk to us on there, hey, you know uh, what's free to do? You know what's free to do that really helps the show? Yeah. Uh, go, go tell a friend about the Greatest Generation. Uh, yeah. Go, go An into IRL friend. Go into r slash Star Trek and talk about the show. There are many, 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 many Star Trek fans who still don't know how great Greatest Gen is. Still have not joined one of our many social media groups that people know and love so much and who have told us have changed their lives spread the love spread, spread that the knowledge love. spread those binturongs and uh we should uh, we got a couple of thank yous we always got to do at the end of the show of course dark materia who made our original theme music and adam ragusia who has made a ton of original theme music for us uh and, uh, and continues to continues apace Gotta thank our card daddy Bill Tilly, who Thanks, makes card trading daddy. cards about every episode, and he posts them on his Twitter account. Best and, in the uh, biz. Yeah, they uh, they delight me every week. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek: Deep Space Nine, and an episode of Greatest Generation: Deep Space Nine that is really laying on the moves pretty thick. <laughs> Too thick. Those I moves think. thick though. <laughs> Thick moves. <laughs> <laughs> so our existence is complicated by all those shades of gray that we have to deal with all the time. It's a difficult thing when we have to forever test the terrain to see what is acceptable and amenable. That gets in the way of the creative process. If we have the courage, and it takes a lot of courage to be a creative person, to be committed to it, to be unyielding in your need to do it, to do what it is that you do to the best of your ability, even if that ability is not great. 
but you're, you are committed to do it. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.